following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Yeah, it's wider 
by faith I've received from above Oh glory, my soul is made perfect in love My prayer has prevailed And this moment I know The blood is applied I am whiter is a, an old man, an evangelist, pastor, a prayer walker. He's internationally known for his prayer walks. He has walked in more than 80 different countries. He has spent great amounts of time walking, praying, claiming the power and presence of God everywhere his footsteps fall. I have great admiration for this humble man. He looks a bit like a tall scarecrow. He weighs about 125 pounds right now. He's been through a bout of cancer, and the Lord healed him, and he's now regaining strength. He speaks a straight word of God. He was invited to preach at a very large church in the West. He did not identify the church. When the pastor was converted in that church, he made the decision to pour his millions into an elaborate, beautiful church building that would seat 8,000 plus. I listened as Henry Groover talked about that meeting. They were on the platform. The pastor and his associate pastors were seated together. Henry was also in his place. He was to preach at the 11 o'clock service. The praise and worship has begun, and it is full orchestra, Henry said he felt that it was more than professional music, that it was powerful music. The music leader was very much anointed by the Holy Spirit. He led the praise and worship with great power. And they began to sing a song over and over and over. Some of you may remember the song. It's been some time since I've heard it. 
It was, show us your glory. Show us your glory. As they sang this song over and over, Henry is standing, full worship mode, hands lifted up before the Lord, just enjoying the presence of God, when suddenly he hears a voice, and the voice says, Tell them to stop. He's startled. He turns to see who has spoken to him. There was no one close. So he turned back and began to praise and worship. And the voice came again. Tell them to stop. He again turned and looked, wondered if in the decorations behind the trees and the shrubs and the plants, if there was perhaps a workman who was trying to fix an electrical problem. There was no one there, so he turned back and he began to worship. And the same voice spoke. Are you going to tell them to stop? Henry said, Is that you, Lord? Yes. If I come down with my glory, half of the people in this congregation will die. Tell them to stop. Henry said, Lord, I've not even been introduced yet. It's not time for me to speak. Are you going to tell them to stop or not? Henry stepped to the podium. He was so frightened, so terrified, he was afraid he would just squeak when he said, Stop. But he opened his mouth and a great roar came out of his mouth. Stop. And then he continued under the power of the Holy Spirit. If we continue to sing this song, the power of God, the glory of God is going to come down, and there is great sin in this house, and half of you are going to die. And then he stood there. He didn't know what to do or say next. Dead silence reigned in that huge auditorium filled with 8,000-plus people. Absolute silence. Then he hears the pastor whispering to the associate, Is the Lord saying anything to you? No. What's happening? I don't know. The music people are looking at one another. Shall we start playing again? They sit in silence. And then suddenly, Henry says, there was a great roar as people began to scream in terror before God. And they began to repent and weep and they began to rush forward toward the platform to come before the Lord, some falling even before they got to the platform. He said the roar was unimaginable. The sound of the people weeping and crying and shouting 
their repentance before a holy God. Henry Groover said, I didn't know what to do except to go down off the platform and begin to pray with people. He said it was between 11 and 11.30 when he went down to begin praying for people. And then finally the Lord said to him, Your work is finished. Go get in your van and drive home. He looked at his watch. It was already 2.30 in the afternoon. He'd had no sense of time passing. He had been in the presence of the Almighty, in the presence of God. He got in his van and he drove home. He heard nothing from the pastor or from the church. It was not until two years later that he was speaking in another venue. And a man came forward and said to him, Brother Henry, I was there that Sunday morning when you told us to stop singing the glory song. And Henry said, Well, what happened? Well, the man said, Why didn't you come back? Henry said, Because they didn't invite me back. Well, what happened? And the man told him, Revival had broken out in that church. The presence of God had come. And it was an ongoing revival. This story is on one front terrifying. Because the Lord said, if I come down as they are asking me to do, half of them will die because they are in major sin before me. I've been thinking a lot about and praying a lot about the interaction between heaven and earth, between our Lord and his people. We find in the book of Genesis the story of Adam and Eve. And by the way, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining me for this broadcast. I pray it will deal with your heart. In the third chapter of the book of Genesis, we find the story of Adam and Eve changing sides and joining the side of darkness. They heard the sound of the Lord as he came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This was his custom. He fellowshiped with his people. There was a sweetness between them. After all, it had been God who bent himself over the lifeless form of Adam and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So the very breath of God was in this man. 
there was a oneness between God and his creation. They shared the breath of life. But they were terrified now, and they hid from God. They hid among the trees of the garden, and God called out, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And you know the story as it unfolds with all of its sadness. But the consequence were terrifying. In verse 23, this is Genesis three twenty-three. So the Lord banished him, that is Adam, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So now Adam is denied access to the tree of life, and without the tree of life, he will die physically. We die physically because we have not been released to eat physically from the physical tree of life. Yes, Jesus is our tree of life, and so we will live forever. But there is now an uneasiness between God and man, where man is ashamed, he is afraid, he is hiding from God. And the whole history of man is God coming and trying to dig men and women out from the bushes, calling them to himself. Now, there was not total dis-ease between God and man, We find God speaks to Noah about the flood, and Noah doesn't seem to be terrified by God speaking to him, but instantly moves forward and begins to obey the word of the Lord. And the earth is utterly destroyed by this flood. Now in chapter 12, we find the call of Abram. Abram, likewise, is not terrified by the voice of the Lord, the word of God that comes to him. And he also obeys. And then we find Isaac, Jacob. Jacob is not so terrified by the presence of God, but there is certainly an increased level of, of dis-ease. Moses is confronted by God in the desert. He is afraid to look at God. He is afraid to look at the burning bush. He is terrified by it. But as they speak together, he loses his fear of God, and he begins to disagree with God, and God then comes angrily with him and commands him to obey. Moses does, and no man since the fall has had such communication until we come to Jesus. 
God spoke face to face with this dear man, Moses. He represented the law. But then as we move forward through the scriptures, we find an increasing dis-ease, terror, when God speaks with man. If you think of this righteous and holy man, Isaiah, the sixth chapter, as he goes into the temple and there is the presence of God Almighty filling the temple. The glory of God is there. He's terrified by it. He says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, uncircumcised lips. After the Lord removes his sin by the angel coming and touching his lips, he is freer to say to the Lord, Here am I, I will go for you. But then we come to Daniel, a very righteous man. Daniel passes out. He is so terrified. When an angel from heaven comes to speak with him, and now through all of the rest of the Old Testament, when God comes and speaks, people are terrified. They're sure they're going to die. You remember Gideon? He said, I've seen... I've seen the Lord, I'm going to die. Great terror. The gap in the loss of communication is widening. This story that I've shared of of Henry Groover tells us that God spoke with him and said, if I come in my glory to this church, half of the people are going to die right then. That was not an idle threat. That was reality. Now, when I I come further, and I come to the Gospels, for 400 years God has not spoken to the children of Israel. No prophets have appeared. And then suddenly in the desert, there is a prophet, John the Baptist, an Old Testament prophet, dressed as an Old Testament prophet would dress in camel's hair, living in the desert. He doesn't go to Jerusalem. The people come out in the desert to where he is, and his command to them is repent and be baptized. For one is coming who is more powerful than I am. When we look at that story, it's it's a frightening story. Let me read just a, a portion to you. Luke, I'll begin reading for you in the fourth chapter. Let's see if I can find it here quickly. No, let's go to the let's go to the third chapter. A voice of one crying out in the desert, you must prepare the way of the Lord. You must make his paths straight. 
every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be leveled off, and the crooked will be made into a straight path, and the rough road as smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he's saying that in your life, he is going to do this. Jesus will do this. He's going to fill in the empty places, and he's going to take off the mountains of pride in your life. He's going to straighten the crooked way of your feet. This is what Jesus came to do. Now he was saying to the multitudes coming out to be baptized by him, O offspring of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. He saw Jesus coming as the coming of wrath. In fact, you must produce fruit worthy of repentance, and you must not begin to say to yourselves, We have a father, Abraham. And the multitude began to ask him, What shall we do? And he answered, He said to them, One having two shirts must share with one having none, and the one having food must do likewise. He begins to instruct them very practically about what they need to do in the physical realm to prepare for the day of wrath that's coming. Now, I am baptizing you with water, John said, but the one mightier than me is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie, he himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, whose winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor and will gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with fire, never to be put out. In fact, he was preaching many other things and exhorting the people. Now, when I look at this, it's terrifying because this is not the picture of the sweet Jesus the American church idolizes. This is not the sentimental Jesus the modern church idolizes. John is saying that Jesus is going to come, and he's going to come with wrath with fire. And he's going to separate out the chaff from the wheat. And he identifies the wheat as those men and women who are utterly given over to the presence of God. He's identifying the wheat as those who will believe on his name and obey him. Now, let's be clear. Salvation in Jesus Christ, to be real, must be salvation from sin, not in sin. Any system of religion that does not break the power of sin in a, is a lie. It does not, if it does not expel sin selfishness, lust, disobedience, if it does not expel these things of the world, if it does not generate love for God and man, 
If it doesn't generate joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit, it's a false religion. It's a hidey cave of lies. We need to be very serious about this interaction between heaven and earth. This is not something lightly considered. In chapter 5 of the book of Acts, we have a story that just adds weight to what I'm trying to say to you today. There is a man by the name of Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. They own a piece of property. Now, Barnabas means son of encouragement. He's well known in the New Testament. He traveled with the Apostle Paul. Barnabas had a piece of property as well, and he sold that property. And he brought it, and he laid it at the feet of the apostles to help care for the church. Ananias and Sapphira were doing this as well, and it was not uncommon. Many were bringing great amounts of money, selling properties, selling houses, And they would bring that money and lay it at the feet of the apostles for the work of the gospel. So Ananias and Sapphira made a pledge that they would sell this property and that they would bring the amount of that property and lay it at the feet of Peter for the work of the gospel. But Ananias decided that he could keep back part of that money and not give it all. Who would know the difference? And so he and his wife talked and said, it's foolish to give all of this money for the work of the gospel. Let's hold some back. And so that's what they did. He brought a certain portion of the money after saying he was giving it all. Now, it was his money. It was his property. He could do with it whatever he chose. He was not forced to give this money to Jesus. The problem was that he said he was bringing it all, and then without telling anyone that he was changing his mind on this amount, he brought it to be honored for having given the entire amount to Jesus. He brought it and laid it at the at the feet of of Peter. And Peter said to him, Ananias, this is found in Acts, the fifth chapter, why did Satan fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to put aside for yourself the price of the land? While remaining, was it not still yours? And after having sold, was it not in your authority? Why did you conceive this deed in your heart. You did not lie to men. You lied to God. So suddenly, here we are, another intersection between God and man. And this man, Ananias, came lying to God about the gift he was bringing. He did not consider it 
of great urgency that he be truthful with Almighty God. He was looking forward to the adulation of the people and the apostles who would say, Look what Ananias and Sapphira have have given. It's wonderful, this gift. It's awesome. It scares me for people when they make pledges for this broadcast as the work of God, and then they don't keep their pledge. I don't say anything to them. The Lord has not told me to. But very honestly, their life is in grave danger. They will not have the blessing of God on their life. You cannot lie to God. If you say, this portion of money belongs to the Lord, and I will give it, that's very serious before Jesus. And when you lie to him and do not keep that pledge, you are asking for the curse of God on your life. It doesn't matter what size that pledge is. It matters whether or not the Holy Spirit has moved in your heart and you have said yes, because when you come to give that pledge to God, you are coming into an intersection of grave danger. You are coming to interact with the living God of heaven. You're not giving it to Pastor Ray in the National Prayer Chapel or Pilgrim's Progress. You are coming into an interaction where the Holy Spirit has prompted you in your heart, and if you then do not do what he tells you to do, you're in trouble with God. You're in very deep trouble with God. And if the presence of God were here as it was with Peter, you would forfeit your life. That's how serious this is. It is dangerous to come into the intersection between your life and a holy and righteous God. And that intersection should only be taken very, very seriously. If you say to the Lord, I'm finished with this sin. And then you go back to it. You're in grave danger. God is not pleased. And he will become increasingly distant from you. And he will let you go your way because now is not the time of judgment. But it could be. It could be. Be very, very cautious about what you say to God, what you say to Jesus, what you say to the church, for the church is the body of Jesus Christ. Be very careful what you say to Pastor Ray about, I'll make this pledge for Pilgrim's Progress so that Pilgrim's Progress can remain on the air. For there is in the very statement a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you do what you say you're going to do. A curse if you do not do what you say you're going to do. This is not something to play with. 
This is terrifying stuff. Ananias. Here's here's Peter asking the question, Why did you conceive this deed in your heart? You did not lie to men. You lied to God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, took one last gasp of breath, and died. And everybody was terrified. Great fear came upon them. The young men stood up. They wrapped his body in a cloth. They carried him out. And they dug a tomb. And they buried him. Now about three hours later, his wife came in to the fellowship of the church in the New Testament. She'd not heard anything that had happened to her husband. They didn't have cell phones. She hadn't heard. She came in, and Peter said to her, Tell me, if for this amount you sold the piece of ground. And she said, Yes, that was the amount we sold it for. So Peter, he says to her, Why did you agree together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Why did you and your husband talk together and decide that you could cheat God? Pay attention, he said. The feet of the ones having buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately the scripture says she fell down and she took one last gasp of air and she died. And the young men coming in found her dead. They carried her out also and they buried her by her husband. And then great fear came upon the whole church and upon all the ones having heard these things. They were terrified. And well, they should be. Ananias and Sapphira had paid the ultimate price for their dishonesty before God. They said one thing. They did another. They tested the Lord. They lied to God. Now by the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were being performed among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch at the temple. But the general public dared not join them. And yet there were people deeply convicted who came repenting. And large numbers of believers were being brought into the fellowship of Christ, multitudes of both men and women. 
and along the streets where Peter would walk, they laid out their sick, their demon-possessed, and if the shadow of Peter passed by or overshadowed, they were healed. The scriptures say that even the multitude from the cities all around were coming to Jerusalem, bringing the sick and the ones being tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. This is Acts 5, verse 16. So suddenly, because the church has been scrubbed clean, that no one is lying to the Holy Spirit. They're doing what they said they would do. They are, they are repenting for every sin and being scrubbed clean and walked in righteousness. And because of this, the church suddenly begins to prosper. The church will always prosper when all of the the lying is finally dealt with and all of the sins have been wiped away. When we have repented before Almighty God. About 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, I had a dream. It was so startling and so clear to me that it changed my direction. In this dream, I was walking out of a out of a city neighborhood. I walked out, and there were the woods, the forest. I made my way out of the city into the forest, and there I came to a great long table. I couldn't see the end. It was a pleasant wood. The table was covered with the most beautiful tablecloth, pure white. And on the table were all of the plates, the place settings in gold and silver. There were beautiful crystal goblets at the table filled with a foaming looked like red wine or grape juice. The table was laden down with incredible food. I could see the the steam rising from the hot food. I could I could smell the aroma. I was starving. I wanted to go sit down at that table but I was not able to because a chain-link fence was between me and that table. I finally turned in sadness, realizing I was not allowed, and I began walking back to my home. As I was walking, I suddenly saw a large group of people joyfully singing praises to Jesus, shouting to one another, carrying packages, brightly wrapped packages, gifts. They were making their way toward the table. I was about to tell them that there was a chain-link fence and that they would not be allowed to 
to sit at the table, when suddenly I saw that I was bare naked, not a stitch of clothing on. As I saw that, I was ashamed, and I immediately turned aside and hid myself, and covered myself as best I could with my hands. And then I woke, and I wept before the Lord. For I knew he was telling me that I could not go to the table of the Lord in the condition I was in. I had read the passage of Scripture in Revelation, the 19th chapter. I'll read it for you. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. This is the 19th chapter of Revelation, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. The reason I was naked was because I was not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus as expressed in the way I acted, the way I lived. I had not been made righteous by the grace of Jesus. He did not cover me up with his grace and say, you can still go to the table even though you're filthy underneath and you're a sinner. No, I had to be washed and cleansed. And then I had to be dressed in fine linen, bright and clean, before I would be allowed to sit at that table. I'm just wondering today. Are you dressed in fine linen? Or are you naked before God? What is your condition? This interaction between heaven and earth, between Jesus and us, is either going to be filled with wrath and judgment and cast out into the depths of the fire of hell, or we're going to be dressed in the white linen and brought in to sit at the table of the Lord. That table has always been a very significant part of my thinking because my father, when I was just a boy, would always talk about, I'm so eager to sit at the table of the Lord. And the table is going to be so long we won't be able to see the end of it. That was true of the table I saw. It stretched forever out through the wood. But I was not allowed to go. In the condition you are currently in, could you go sit at that table of the Lord or would you be blocked because of your known sin and rebellion against Almighty God? In this story I shared of Henry Groover, where the Lord said, tell them to stop singing the glory song because if my glory comes down, half of the congregation will die. Would you be those who would die? Are you still? Are you still an alcoholic? Are you still in pornography? 
Are you still in anger and bitterness and malice? Still in pride and self-sufficiency? Are you still fighting for your rights? Are you still protesting your innocence and pretending that the righteousness of Jesus will cover you and when God looks at you, he won't see you. He'll just see himself. Are you kidding me? He's the judge. All judgment has been put in the hands of Jesus, not the Father. It's Jesus who will sit on that throne. And grace will not cover your sin. Your sin has to be repented of and turned away from. If you'd been sitting in that congregation that morning and you heard that word, would you be running, screaming, because you thought you were going to die? And would you repent? What is the condition of your heart today? Is your heart filled with the glory of Jesus? You see, we no longer need to fear the presence of God unless we're Ananias and Sapphira. We no longer need to fear the glory of God if we've been washed and made clean by the blood and we've turned away from our wickedness. But if we're still walking in the fornication, if you're still shacked up having sexual relations with a woman you're not married to or a man you're not married to, you need to repent. God's judgment is on you. God's judgment is coming upon America and it's going to be a terrible thing to see. It's already coming. It's upon us. But it's going to grow much, much worse. Because the sin in the church is so casually winked at. We want to love everybody, but we don't want to confront their sin. Is that love? I don't think so. Is Jesus your Savior today, or is he your judge? Be honest. Be honest. Don't lie to God. He knows your heart. He knows when you come and go. He knows what you think. He knows who you are. Will you repent? John the Baptist came saying, repent. Jesus came saying, repent. Peter came saying, repent. Paul came saying, repent. And so I have to come today and say, repent. Almighty God, I have shared this very disturbing word that you've put on my heart and in my lips. Would you bring forth now the fruit of this message in honest repentance before your throne, that we could be brought into oneness with you and enjoy the sweet fellowship of your love and walk clean before you by your grace and by your power. Thank you, Jesus, I pray in your mighty name. Amen. 
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I would like to hear from you. I need men and women who will stand with me. We're coming toward the end of the month, and I'll need again to know you're standing with me. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195? And if you've made a pledge and you have not kept it, would you please keep that pledge now? The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can contact me via the internet. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Jesus Christ alone.